0: Greetings and salutations, everybody out there in podcast land. This is the Judo Chop Suey Podcast, and I'm your host, Judo Dave Roman. Back from the dead, back from a long hiatus, a much-deserved break that I needed to take from the podcast. Just, I don't know, I didn't anticipate taking such a long break, but after the last episode, I was very proud of my effort. And I fully intended to do another episode two weeks after that, but then two weeks became four weeks. Four weeks have just pretty much become eight weeks, and I I don't think I've been behind the microphone in about a couple of months. I've been keeping myself busy with work and with life and certainly with training. I've got a lot to get to in that regard. I'm sure some of you guys miss me, and I'm sure some of you guys are happy that I'm back. I'm sure most of you don't really even care, but it doesn't matter to me because I'm going to keep pushing forward with this episode, and I'm very excited to do so because on this episode, I am going to cover... The 2018 World Judo Championships, I got to tell you, some of the stories that have come out of Baku, Azerbaijan, with these World Championships is really, really interesting stuff. I can't wait to get to talking about it. Mostly good. There is some bad in in regards to how some of the matches were called, and I'm going to get into all of that later. I I really got to get a lot of things off my chest in that regard. I also want to talk about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and just by saying Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I am guaranteed to have a a, a 10% increase in listenership for this episode, so I'm looking forward to that. i got a lot to discuss about that because I, of all people, have been doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, so I want to talk about that. I want to break down... My initial impression, I shouldn't say initial impressions, because as you guys know, my grappling career, if you want to call it that, started doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. But I really want to break down the differences, not so much for the American audience, because that's about half of you. But the other half uh, come from countries that do not have a large Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu presence. So I want to talk a little bit about that and share my experiences and my opinions on the differences between Judo and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. But before I get into any of that, I want to talk about the World Judo Championships. As you can hear the official IJF theme music in the background, I figured I'd add it this time around uh, just because I wanted to. I kind of like the intro music, and if you guys have never seen the intro, it's kind of it's a really well-done intro. And as I teased earlier, boy, there has been a tremendous amount of stories coming out of these World Championships. So many that I, I just can't. I don't even know where to begin because there's just so many great stories, but I feel like I got to start at the heaviest of heavy. The plus 100 kilo division has a new world champion, and that's Guram Tushishvili. Now, if that name sounds familiar to you, it's because I have been, well, I don't know about hyping, but I've been talking about Guram Tushishvili for well over a year now. He is in my opinion, the most impressive athlete in that division. He is the rare combination of of size and speed that I have never seen from anybody at that weight category. Now, I'm not saying that the other guys are slow. Certainly, I'm not taking anything away from Teddy Renier. But at the highest of levels, Tushishvili is, the, is really one of the few guys that I have seen with the kind of speed that he has and he he uses that for drop Sayanagi. and that's exactly how he won his match against Ushangi Kokoruri of Azerbaijan so he was the hometown favorite and you could hear by the crowd they were they were electric when he was out there and not only that he managed to get a score on Tushishvili about a, a, a minute in uh, with about a minute left in the contest it looked like Tushishvili attempted to throw with a uh, drop Sayanagi, but he lost his balance and Kokuri managed to get him on his back for a Wazari and it was not Osaikomi. You got to see the video and I'm going to get into this a little bit later in this segment. But no, you know what? I'll just say it now. That was by far one of the most pathetic Wazari scores I have ever seen in my life. And you could hear Neil Adams, he was practically beside himself when he couldn't believe that he got a score on that. Upon video review, they ended up taking the score off, but for a referee to even consider giving that a score, I, I think really speaks to some of the issues that are that are in the current rule set, which again I'll get into later. But Tushishvili, in the closing seconds of regulation, manages to get a drop upon Sayanagi Se- on Koko Uri, And he earns the pawn, and he earns the gold medal. So congratulations to Guram Tushishvili and to Ushangi Koko Uri, Which, by the way, he had a heck of a, a run. He had a heck of a day to get to that, to that uh, final in the plus 100 kilo division. I mean, he had to get through Lukas Kropalek of the Czech Republic, who, in many other contests, I would have envisioned him making a serious run to get into the final. He ends up losing to Ozilbayar of Mongolia, and Ozilbayar of Mongolia uh, earned one of the bronze medals. The other winner of the bronze medal was Hawasawa of Japan, who defeated Bekmurov Oliboev of Uzbekistan. So... Kawasawa earns the other bronze medal for Japan. And I got to say, the plus 100 kilo division, the contests on that day, certainly you felt Teddy Renner's absence as a, as a viewer anyway. This is the first time we've had a new world champion in the plus 100 kilo division in, in over eight years. And if I haven't talked about this before, we all know that Teddy Rene did not compete this year. And he will not compete next year at the world championships. So there's an opportunity for, uh, Guram Tuchishvili of Georgia to be dethroned as the world champion, but it won't be by Teddy Renair who I believe is, I, I mean, I see his Instagram, so I know he's, he's staying in shape and working out and, and all that kind of stuff. But I'm going to guess that he's trying to preserve his body as much as possible, not only for the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo, but He really wants to compete in front of his home crowd for the 2024 Summer Games, which will be in Paris. So once again, congratulations to Guram Tushishvili. It was a fantastic run. It's been a fantastic year for him. I know the Georgian Judo Federation had its issues earlier in the year, but I'm glad that they... Athletes in in the uh, the Georgian team are getting the support that they need, especially to see uh, Tushishvili make it to the very top level here. He just now it, it's my understanding that Tushishvili is you know har har one of the smallest world champions in the plus 100 kilo division in many many years. So you understand what I mean. Guram Tushishvili is about 240 pounds, which by any measure. Is is a very large man. It's it's definitely a heavyweight, but Teddy Riner weighs in at over three hundred pounds, and he's like six foot eight. So Tushishvili has been winning with his drop Sayanagi, uh against larger, heavier, taller opponents uh, because because he's a relative lightweight. He's got the speed that some of the other competitors don't have. Sorry about my phone going off there. You know, I can't stand it. When I get these calls on my phone from numbers that look like local numbers, but they're really just just spam numbers that really gets under my skin. It's like, oh, look at that. It's it's eight one three four nine five, blah, 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 blah. That must be somebody I know. Nope. Anyway, where was I? Oh, yeah. By the way, I just gave you half of my phone number. If you could figure out the four digits, you can give me a call. (laughs) All right, again, going back to the World Championships. I want to move on to some of the other divisions. Gosh, what's the next big story that I want to cover? Again, there's so much to go with, but I am going to go with the Abe siblings. Uta Abe won the World Championship gold in the under-52-kilo division. And then a few minutes later, her brother, Hifumi Abe, who has just been tearing up the circuit... Took gold medal in the under sixty six kilo division, and that was not a going to be a surprise to me. Actually, quite frankly, it wasn't a surprise to me that he, uh, the Abe siblings became world championships in a ba- uh, world champions. Excuse me, in Baku because they have just had an incredible year, and especially Hifumi Abe. I, I just I can't imagine him losing a major event uh moving forward uh, going into the 2020 Olympic games i just i just don't see it happening granted he lost earlier this year uh to an excellent throw but i just don't see that happening at the major grand slam events now uta abe had to go through fellow japanese teammate aishishime who has won the world championships and uh, actually she was the current world champion so it was really surprising for me to see Uta Abe throw Shishime with Uchimada in such devastating fashion, really. She, I mean, she just, she didn't even roll through the throw. She just threw her with Uchimada and stayed on her feet like a boss. It was really impressive, especially uh, for to see Abe throw Shishime, uh, who is just such a high, uh, high caliber uh, competitor herself that. It was just gonna be. It was gonna be Abe's day. There was no question about it. And she she had a tremendous run going all the way up through the finals. And to, to cap it off with such a beautiful uchimata, is just uh, really the stuff of world champions. And and that's what she is. So congratulations to Uta Abe. Now in the under sixty six kilo division, as I mentioned earlier, to no one's surprise, Hifumi Abe dominated that division. Actually, let me clarify that a bit. He dominated that division until he got to Anbao of South Korea. Now, this was one of those matches where I took exception to the officiating. And again, I'm going to get into that later, but Hifumi Abe had to go through a lot of high-quality opponents uh, on his way to the gold medal. People like... uh, 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 Denis Viru of Moldova. He had to go through uh, Zantaraya of the Ukraine. He had to go through Anbal, as I mentioned earlier. Who, if it wasn't for Abe, I probably would have picked him. If Abe was not in that division for whatever reason, I would have picked Anbal to to become the world champion. In this final, Abe had to face Yerlan Sarekzanov of Kazakhstan, who. By all accounts, at least to me anyway, and I don't mean no offense, he's a relative unknown. He was ranked uh he was uh ranked sixteenth in the world in that division. And he had a second place finish in the Agadir Grand Prix of this year and the Tunis Grand Prix of this year, but relatively quiet uh two thousand eighteen. Um he didn't place at all in the Zagreb Grand Prix or Ho-Hot or Antalya, so so what I'm saying is that it, it, it's kind of a surprise to see him in that position. I would have I probably would have gone with Tal Flicker making it all the way to the final for the right to lose to Hifumi Abe. (laughs) I say that jokingly, but I I, like I said, I really felt it was going to be, it has been Abe's year, it's going to be Abe's day. But very surprising to see uh, Sarek Zanov defeat Tal Flicker in the semifinals. But, you know, that's what makes these events great because every year you've got the favorites and then you've got the surprise people that come out of nowhere to either win an entire division or at least place very high. So, Zarek Sanof, uh earns the silver medal this day. He had a great day uh, defeating some high-quality opponents, uh, which really you have to in order to get to these finals, but... So he gets silver. Georgie Santaraya uh, gets the bronze medal. He defeats Tal Flicker, who did, just did not have. It just wasn't going to be his day, I guess. And Anbal earns the other bronze medal, defeating Daniel uh, Cargnin of Brazil. All right. So let's see. I've covered the Abe siblings. I've covered. Uh, Guram Tushishvili become the over 100 kilo division. I've said that there are some amazing stories coming out of the world championships. So I am going to go with the under 48 kilo division winner, Daria Bilo did of the Ukraine. And what makes this special is that she is the youngest judo world champion in history. She's only 17 years old. And she defeated Funa Tonaki of Japan, who is the current reigning world champion. And she managed to do so in impressive fashion with a fantastic Ouchigari for Ipawn. And this was not one of those soft pawns either or, or one of those questionable calls. I mean, she caught her really well. And it was, a, it was just a fantastic win for her, especially against such a tough opponent. Now, on her way to the gold medal match, she had to defeat Paula Pareto of Argentina, she also had to go through Atkanakseg uh, Galbracht of Kazakhstan and Yao Ziong of China. So congratulations are in order for Daria Abilodid for becoming not only the gold medal winner, but making judo history. Now for the other winners, as I already stated, Funa Tonaki earns the silver medal. Galbadrak of Kazakhstan, who Daria Bilodid had to go through, earns one of the bronze medals. And Paula Pareto, who also uh, is another competitor that Bilo did, had to go through in order to get her gold medal. So congratulations for everybody who earned a medal in the under 48 kilo division. Now moving along to my next big story. Gosh, what do I pick? Ah, It's not hard for me to figure out at all. Saeed Molai of Iran Becomes the world champion in the under 81 kilo division. And Why this is such so significant is that this is the first world champion for Iran in over 15 years. And he earns the world championship against Sotaro Fujiwara of Japan. Now I got to say of all the divisions. The under 81 kilo division is one of those divisions that it's always hard for me to even come close to figuring out who I think would win that division. That being said, Saeed has had a very, very good year, uh, obviously winning the World Championships. Uh, he placed second place in the in the 18th annual Asian Games in Jakarta this year. He got a third place finish in the Ekaterinburg Grand Slam of this year. And also this year, he was at the Dusseldorf Grand Slam, which he won gold there as well. So he's had a very strong year. I would anticipate him having an excellent run in the Olympics uh, for sure. I got to believe he'll find himself on the medal stand uh, in Tokyo in 2020. Now, as I already stated, Sotaro Fujiwara earns the silver medal. Vedat Albayrak of Turkey wins the, one of the bronze medals. And Alexander Wizirzak, the surprise gold medal winner from last year's World Championships, earns the other bronze medal. Continuing on with some of the big stories that happened in the World Championships, I wanted to take note and I want to be clear that I didn't actually watch the team event. But a unified Korea competed in the team event after the senior nationals uh, competitions were over with. Which this is something I never really thought I would ever see in my lifetime. And to my surprise, there has not been any coverage of this. Certainly not on the... American news channels you would think that some you know on an international segment or something that something would be made of this historic event but nothing's really said I don't know about the rest of the world if this was covered in any capacity I know that things are slowly changing in North Korea for the better earlier this year you had the North Korean uh, dictator or president whatever you want to call him dear leader Uh, meeting with the president of South Korea. You had uh, the president of the United States meeting with Kim Jong-un. And now you've got a unified Korea. Again, these are events that I never thought that I would see in my lifetime. So I'm hoping that this is just a small taste of things to come with the Korean Peninsula. Now, something I'd like to add is that with this unified team, they flew under a new flag. And that in of itself is no small issue because they there was supposed to be a unified uh, Korean team in one of the earlier, I believe, one of the Grand Prix And they did not compete together over the flag issue because, look, you're, you're dealing with two countries competing under a single flag. you got to get the flag right. This kind of stuff matters. Now, I'm not sure what national anthem they would have used had Korea... Earned a a gold medal. I'm not really sure what that would have been like or what that song would have been. I, I I've tried looking. I don't know what that would have been. So, but regardless, it's huge news. It's a it's a probably gosh, I would say in my opinion, a unified Korea is the biggest news coming out of the World Judo Championships. Now, some of you may feel uh, may disagree with that, and that and that's certainly your prerogative. But to me, in terms of Historical impact. I I just personally think a, a unified Korea is the biggest story. Even though I didn't lead with it, I I think it's arguably the biggest, or if not uh, the most important story coming out of the World Championships. So I'd like to continue with covering the results of the other divisions. I'm going to do this very quickly. Because I, I, I don't want to spend all day on the World Championships because I, I could. I could spend the next two hours on it detailing every little story. I probably missed some pretty big, important stories. And I and if I didn't re- mention somebody, I apologize. those the, the four that I just covered are the four that really stuck out to me. And there may have been some that I missed. But as far as results, I'm going to go from the men's and then go to the women's and... Um, then I'll get into the the results of the team events. And then I want to talk about uh, the rule changes. And not so much the rule changes um, in terms of something that happened recently. But I want to talk about the rule changes that happened earlier this year and how I believe it's going to continue to negatively impact a lot of these contests. But let's start with the results. In the under-60-kilo division, uh, Naohisa Takato of Japan took gold, defeating Robert... Uh, Mishiv Do of Russia. Hopefully I got that right. Uh, one bronze went to Arman Papinashvili of Georgia. And the other bronze went to uh, Ryuju Nagayama of Japan. Not just speaking about a unified Korea. That did not happen in the individual contests. So in this division, uh, Harim Lee of South Korea took 5th place. And uh, Yongwon Kim of North Korea took 7th place. I already covered the under 66 kilo division, so I'm going to move on to the under 73 kilo division, which was won by uh, Anchan Grim of South Korea. He defeated Sochi Hashimoto of Japan. That's a big surprise to me. Hidayorov of of Azerbaijan took one bronze and Mohammed uh, Mohammadi of Iran took uh, the other bronze. Iran had a good day. Let's see, I already covered the under 81 kilo division going to the under 90 kilo division. A surprise win for me anyway, as Nicole Sharadashvili uh, of Spain, sounds like a Georgian name, but of Spain takes gold in this division, defeating uh, Ivan Silva Morales of Cuba. Uh, Kenta Nagasawa of Japan takes one bronze and Axel Clerget of France takes the other bronze. In the under 100 kilo division, you have Guram Cho of South Korea defeating Varlan Lipertiliani of Georgia. He probably would have been my favorite in the under 100 kilo division. Uh, taking bronze is Niaz Elisov of Russia, followed by Angantabar uh, Hagvard Surin of Mongolia. I probably butchered that name, so my apologies. Aaron Wolf got fifth place. Th- that's uh, surprising to me. I would have envisioned a Lipertiliani Aaron Wolf final. But Wolf lost to Lakhag Vajshuren of Mongolia for the bronze medal match. So moving along, I already covered the over 100-kilo division, Guram Tushishvili. Uh, under 48-kilo, I already covered. The under 52-kilo uh, division, I already covered. That's the Uta Abe win. In the under 57-kilo division, Sukasa Yoshida of Japan uh, defeated Nakoda Smythe Davis of Great Britain. Now, um, Nakoda has had a great year. And the, the women for Great Britain have a very strong team. Can't really say the same for the men. No disrespect. But the ladies had a strong showing across multiple divisions. So nakota Smythe-Davis gets the silver. Uh, Sumia Dorjen of Mongolia takes one bronze. And Krista Deguchi of Canada takes the other bronze. In the under-63-kilo division, there's no surprise here. Clar- Clarissa Begnenu of France is your winner, defeating uh, Miku Tash. Tashiro of Japan. Tina Jack uh, took one bronze, and Jewel Fransen of the Netherlands took the other bronze. Clarice has really been on a roll. She is as dominant a player in her division as really anybody else is in their respective divisions. So congratulations to Clarice. In the under-70-kilo division, you have Chizuru Arai of Japan defeating Marie-Yves Gahi of France. And taking one bronze was Yoko Ono. No, not that Yoko Ono. Yuri Avalar of Colombia takes the other bronze in the under-70 kilo division. So, so congratulations to all the ladies there. All right, moving on. In the under-78 kilo division, Shuri Hamada of Japan is your winner. And she defeated uh, Jusei Steenhuis of the Netherlands. Taking the bronze medal uh, is also another uh, fellow teammate of Steen Steenhuys. It's uh, Marhinde Ver- Verkirk. And the other bronze medal goes to Alexandra Babinstiva of Russia. And as I noted earlier with Great Britain, KD Gemma Yeats-Brown uh, takes a fifth, has a 5th place finish. And in the over 78-kilo division, and you, and you know what? This was one of the other big stories that I, I wanted to mention but completely forgot about. Uh, Sarah Asahina continues her dominance in this division, defeating Idalis Ortiz of Cuba. Taking one bronze was Karya Saeed of Turkey, and the other bronze was won by Larissa Sarik of Bosnia and Herzegovina. Hopefully I got that right. Of special note, Sarah Aldington of Great Britain took fifth place in this division. Moving along to the team event, Japan takes gold, defeating France. The unified Korea and Russia take bronze. So now I want to get quickly into some of the negatives of the world championships. But before I get to the negatives, I'd like to say once again, the IJF just does a stellar job in presentation of their sport. And I I really mean that. I I say this so many times, but I have to give credit where credit is due. They do things just slightly differently than other sports. I I don't know. I, I can't pinpoint it, but they just between the access well, not access to Americans because I had to use a VPN to watch a lot of these matches but I'm sure some people in other countries dealt with the same thing as well Uh, regardless of that uh, the presentation, the opening credits the announcing, the camera angles the replays and the officiating as a whole was just superb all that being said I warned about the rule changes earlier this year that I thought it was going to do more harm than good, generally speaking. Even though I liked the change going back to Wazari, I was set to Ipon. I hated the changes that they made to what is a Wazari and what is an Ipon and rolling Ipons and this and that. And that was on full display in these World Championships. Now, granted, it was not as... Often that we saw bad calls, it was, but certainly in some of the key matches where the athletes were equally matched, we almost saw referees giving scores just for the sake of giving scores. Now, I want to make it perfectly clear that these referees are the best in the world and they all do a tremendous job, but they are doing the job based on the rule set that's been given to them. So there's a couple of matches. ...that I want to draw attention to. Um, I, there were some others where I thought the, t- the calls were very curious. But I want to start off first with the under 66 kilo semifinal... ...between Hifumi Abe and Anbao. That match went into golden score and it was a hotly contested match... ...between two athletes that were almost each other's equal... And yes, I saw Hufumi Abe lose earlier this year, but I have not seen Abe pushed to the degree that I've seen him get pushed by Baal in this contest. And then in golden score, Abe manages to quote-unquote throw Baal, and An does not land on his side. I'm sorry to say, he did not land on his side. And if you were to take anybody off the street that doesn't know anything about judo and ask him did this person land on the side of his body that person would say no but according to the rule set they that's that's a score and i said it earlier this year if you don't want to lose a match don't get taken off your feet and that's exactly what happened on bow uh, Hifumi Abe had a fantastic attack. I believe it was, they're calling it a Sayanagi, but really it's, it's more a Surikomigoshi. I believe that was a throw if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. And I really felt Anbal landed mostly on his front, a little bit on his side. But it's like, this is one of those situations where it's like you're going into golden score. Both athletes are giving it their all. And it's almost as if the ref is like, well, I got to give a score here somebody's got to win, and I just don't think that's good for the sport heading into the Olympics. And in my other example, I know I definitely talked about this, was the final, um, Guram Tushishvili's final. Kokururi threw Tushishvili, he got him on his, really Tushizvili landed more on his front, but the whole BS continuation got him onto his side, and they actually gave him a score for that. Now, as I said before, it was waved off, but It was as if the ref felt obligated to give a score there because, again, somebody has to win if this match is going on too long, I guess. And here's the thing. This is the rule set that they're going to be rolling with into the Olympics. So just like everybody, you know, for example, in the United States, I'll just use that as an example, every four years for the summer games, everybody turns in. To watch gymnastics, they tune in to watch the swimming medleys. They turn in to watch the decathlon, but but really gymnastics. Oh, and the diving. Gymnastics and diving are huge sports for the casual audience to watch in the United States, and I know around the world. Judo is just as popular in terms of Olympic viewership around the world with casual audiences uh, just like it is with diving and gymnastics in the United States. So here's my point. All of those people that tuned into the Olympics in 2016 to watch judo that haven't watched a single match um, since those Rio games, they're going to be in for a shock. They're going to be surprised to see the Yuko go away, but they're really going to be equally surprised to see Wazari's are now really anything that gets you off your feet and you land somewhat on a side position. That's a Wazari now. And I just don't think that's good for the national or, or really the global audience for Judo. And it's not going to matter too much to the IGF because they, they can't change the rules now. This is what they're rolling with. I mean... I just don't see a scenario where in, in the beginning of 2019 they're going to revise the rules. It's it's they, They've done too much tinkering over the past several years. This is what they're going to roll with for better or for worse. I think what they had in the beginning of 2017 for that entire 2017 year, I thought they had it perfectly. And I'm even willing to admit a little bit that I was wrong about the accumulating Wazari scores. I I. I thought it was bad to get rid of Ozari. I was set to Ipon. But how it was in 2017, how Judo was scored in 2017 was superior to what we're seeing now. And I just think it's a shame. It's not going to change. We're going to see a lot more matches like this. And that's just the way it is. And as I said in the beginning of the year, if you don't want to lose, don't get taken off your feet. Because you're probably going to get scored on regardless of how you land. All right. It's time for my favorite segment of the Judo Chop Suey podcast. What time is it? Listener reaction. Now, over the past couple of months, I've received some emails, some messages, wondering where the heck I've been, if I'm still alive, if I quit the podcast, yada, yada, yada. And I appreciate those messages. If you ever want to reach out to me, you can reach out to me at uh, at Levita Judoka on Instagram. My Instagram is awesome. And you can always email me at show at gmail.com, which is what this one listener did. And this happens to be from one of my female listeners. I appreciate you. The email goes as follows. Dear Judo Dave, my name is uh, name redacted, and I have been a longtime listener of your podcast. Even though it's been a while since you've released a new episode, I've really enjoyed your thoughts on judo, the way you present yourself, and the little tidbits of information that has helped me with my training. You're welcome. My husband and I have been doing judo together for a couple of years now. We are both in our mid-30s. Judo used to be something that we both enjoyed doing together, but things have changed over the past nine months. See, one of the senior instructors is a lady, probably in her early 40s. She is single and attractive, and she and my husband have become more friendly than I am comfortable with. Things were innocuous at first, but then it seemed like boundaries were getting pushed. They started texting each other probably uh, about six months ago. See, at first it seemed to be club related things, but then I started pressing my husband about the nature of their relationship. Shortly thereafter, he put a pass lock on his phone. I started checking the call logs on our phone bill and found out that they were talking a lot, sometimes several times a day. It seems like when when they're at class, they pair a lower or it seems like at class when they pair a lower ranked student with an upper rank student, she always gravitates toward him. And I'm left training with some person I am uncomfortable training with. I talked to my husband about this, but he claims that I'm overreacting and that they're all they're talking about is club stuff. I talked to her about it and she kind of blew me off. Things came to a boiling point last week when we were practicing Tate Shiogatami. Now, for those that are not familiar with the judo terminology, that's mount. That's top mount, like in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Uh, continuing on, once again, she grabbed him as a practice partner and she was holding him down in Tate Shiogatami, except they were both kind of giggling. When well, we were doing a drill where the person on bottom is supposed to escape, but all I saw her. Uh, But all I saw was her getting close and whispering something into his ear. What should be done in this situation? Thanks, um, uh, anonymous emailer. That is an excellent question. And I really appreciate you reaching out to me for some advice on this situation. Now, what I like to do in this situation is I always pick a side if I'm on bottom. And that usually involves trapping an arm and trapping a leg both on the same side. This is what's typically called as a it's a bridge and roll kind of escape and and so what I typically do is I like going to my left side for whatever reason uh it's just I'm just more comfortable moving to my left so I'll trap like like the other person's right arm to my chest or if they've got that arm around my neck for example I'll use my head and and I'll trap that arm in some way so that they cannot post out. So what I also do is that I trap their right leg with my left leg. So I'll put my, my left foot on the outside of their right leg, and I'll trap it so that they can't base out. And what I do in that situation is I, with my right foot, I will thrust my hips upward while trapping that arm and moving to the left. So kind of bridging, thrusting my hips up, I bridge to the left, and I end up in... Judo doesn't really have a word for mount, but uh, I'm sorry, for guard, but it's I end up in the guard position. Now, this is not an ideal position to be in because you're kind of just a lot of times anyway, you're laying on top of the person. So it's very important to get posture in this situation. And you can achieve that by pushing on the stomach or around the belt area and just posturing up. Now, posture is just as important on your feet as it is on the ground and and. It's critical in the guard position that you get posture as soon as possible because a whole lot of things can happen if you're too close for comfort, you know, bent over, you know, laying on top of the person, you know what I mean? So, hopefully, that helps you and your husband out. And um, if you have any further questions, feel free to reach out to me anytime. I appreciate the email. Now, moving along, I would like to bring to your attention the greatest judo convention in the history of judo is happening. On November 2nd and 3rd in Shawnee, Kansas, which is a suburb of Kansas City. Judocon. Now, for those of you who live in the United States, uh, that's probably a short flight away for most people. I can't imagine a flight taking more than three hours from any given location, but maybe I'm just wrong about that. So Judocon is being put out by... Welcome, Matt Training Center, which if you guys have been listening to my podcast for any length of time, that is Sensei Steve Scott's dojo. And they've got a lot of things going on. And I'm going to have Steve Scott come on this podcast at some point before JudoCon happens. Now, he doesn't know that yet. I haven't reached out to him. So, Steve, if you're listening, you can expect a call from me pretty soon. So some of the activities that are going to be happening is um, there's going to be some clinics on on mat games that you could do at your club, um, expl- um, a specific clinic on Uchimata, a roundtable Q&A discussion, and a special uh, clinic on leg locks. And that, that's on day one. And on day two, um, James Wall, who runs wall-to-wall martial arts in Louisiana, he's got a fantastic program, a very successful commercial program. He's going to be talking about uh, successful dojo management. Um, there's actually going to be some belt testing, some rank testing. If you are a member of the Judo Black Belt Association and you want to have an opportunity to test for your next rank, you're going to be able to do that. And there will be uh, clinics hosted by a John Saylor, uh, Mr. John Saylor on uh, Nagewaza Waza and Nawaza. Waza. And I'm sure there's going to be some time to get together and, and, and chat and, you know, maybe we'll all get to get out and have a big luncheon or, or something along those lines. I think that would be great. So, if you're interested in learning more about the Judo Convention, JudoCon 2018, uh, feel free to either reach out to me, you could reach out to Sensei Steve Scott, you could search on the International Freestyle Judo Alliance page on Facebook, or you could just, you probably could just do a Google search and you'll be able to find all the information that you want. So it looks to be a fantastic clinic. I don't know of any other judo-specific conventions that happen in the United States, and I don't know if there's anything like this that happens around the world. That's not to say that there aren't uh, other types of clinics or other types of training sessions, but I feel this is very unique uh, compared to what you may see at a typical clinic where you have a high-profile athlete, Uh, come by and they show you their stuff and what makes them so successful and it usually ends up being things that you just can't do because you're just a normal human being (laughs) but but regardless there's going to be a lot to learn here it's not all going to be techniques and throwing and things like that so I'm really looking forward to it I plan to be there both days if you listen to this podcast and you want to say what's up please feel free to do so so like I said I'm looking forward to it. it should be a great time so I teased this earlier in the episode, in the intro, about me doing Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. So I want to preface this by saying if you guys have been longtime listeners to the to the program, this is not my first rodeo in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I have been in and out of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for goodness gracious, going on maybe close to 18 years or so i i don't have a formal rank in brazilian jiu-jitsu i've just well put it this way i I think i said this earlier in the episode that my grappling career if you want to call it that started in brazilian jiu-jitsu but then i was really drawn to judo that was just something ever since i saw judo it was something i was always drawn to and and as soon as I had the opportunity to do judo, that's exactly what I did. But throughout my time in judo, I have been in and out of various Brazilian jiu-jitsu clubs really to just gain more grappling experience and, and just be exposed to to a different style of grappling. But I think this time around, you know, barring, you know, hopefully hoping that my my body can hold up, my approach is going to be different with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. At least I believe so. I mean, you you never know with injuries or with life how life can get in the way. Uh, It's certainly gotten through the way of my Judo training in in years past, but I'm really going to give this one a go. This time around, I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to stick with it for for a long time. At least that's what I'm going to try to, or or at least have it be a regular part of my training regimen. And to be absolutely clear, this does not mean that I'm going to start going by Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Dave Roman or this does not mean I'm stopping Judo. In, in, in fact, I'm probably at the end of the day doing more Judo than Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. It's just I have decided to supplement Judo with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And, and because I'm part of the International Freestyle Judo Alliance, training for IJF Judo rules just does not suit me anymore. In episodes past, I've talked about no-gi judo. I've talked about doing judo now where I can grab the legs from time to time. Not that I'm a leg diver, but I do it. Really, my desire to expand my grappling knowledge base has kind of led me down this blended path where I'm doing no-gi, I'm doing judo, I'm learning from wrestlers, and now I'm doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Personally, I still love watching the IJF World Tour, but in terms of my practice habits, I don't want to practice for IJF Judo. That's just, that's just me, kind of like when playing pickup basketball, nobody calls a three-second violation. They just don't. That's just reserved for the NBA. And you know, this time around, I think I'm coming into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu at a really good time in my life where... And I'm talking about personally, not not so much lifestyle wise because I'm super busy. I wish I had more time, but I'm not the same guy that I was ten years ago or heck, even three to four years ago. Like the times that I've done jujitsu in the past, I always had this sense that I felt like I had to defend my judo belt out there. But maybe because I'm getting older and slower and, and wiser, I, I'm approaching training very differently. For example, like, I am going to the beginner's Brazilian jiu-jitsu classes because that's what I am. They do things differently over there, even though a lot of the submissions and a lot of the positions are exactly the same as in judo, but they do things differently. Like, for example, they shrimp differently. The way they do Gari is different than what you might be commonly taught in judo. The way they do their forward rolling falls is a little bit different because it's it's for what they do, and I think in years past, because of my judo experience, I just I kind of approached it like, well, this is all just judo anyway, so I'm just gonna do what I do and I'll pick up some neat little tricks and then try and apply that to judo. No, it's not that way for me anymore. It's uh, I'm I'm taking this with a fresh approach, and I think it served me well. And I think now that I'm older, slower, and 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 wiser, I'm just not getting bent out of shape and getting tapped out by people. Now that could be an effect of all the CBD I've been taking lately, which, by the way, I'm going to talk about a little bit later in this episode. But I've just been kind of chill about the whole experience, and I think it's going to serve me really well in the long run because for me my goals in Brazilian jiu Jitsu, I want to be able to move like those guys. Those guys do on the ground what my approach to tachiwaza is. It's I try when I do judo, I try to be move a lot. I try to be flowing, I, I circle I, I'm just I'm constantly moving, I'm constantly trying to flow. I'm constantly trying to get that right feel um to take advantage of an opportunity to throw a training partner and I want to move and flow like that on the ground my body just doesn't do it yet and the and, and the really good guys like guys that are purple belt and up man those guys like move like water it, it's just it's really fascinating to see those guys in in a way they are doing judo on the ground but judo in the sense of being yielding and giving way and just taking advantage of the opportunity and always having an answer for whatever negative position they may be in and heck even the white belts are really good <laughs> I'm very I'm very impressed with with a lot of the white belts that I've rolled with they uh it, it's 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 tough for me now I will say that a lot of the Judo and Nawaza I have learned over the years has served me well. I mean, I'm trying to move in a better way, in a different way, but it is serving me well. I, I, I tell you what, if I come across a spaz, let's say, my generic approach is just to get top position and and hold them down. And I, I don't like doing that, but I have to keep myself safe. I think years ago, if I didn't have any judo experience, I might get hurt in those situations, but, but for sure the years of Judo experience has, has taught me a thing or two on what to look out for on the ground. And so I, I feel like I have a good sense on how to be safe, not only, not only to protect myself, but certainly to to protect my training partners. I know I don't spaz out there and I don't want to hurt anybody or accidentally, you know, I see some pictures of people that I follow on Instagram, you know, a lot of times, um, well, it happens in Judo too, but, the guys that get hurt the most seem to be the white belts. I mean, there's somebody at the club that I that I train with. I, I think she just posted a picture of a black eye that she's got. I mean, man, what it makes me wonder what the heck is happening to get a black eye. I just, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of funny to me that when when uh, the, the guys are about to spar, it's like some of these guys go out there with like like. Uh, mouthpieces and cups and and headgear and, and all that kind of stuff. It, it can be very rough and I'm not I'm not poking fun at anybody. It's just it's a stark contrast to what I'm used to in Judo. I'll just say that much. Now something that I wanted to talk about is the differences of Judo and Brazilian jiu Jitsu. and I'm not just gonna necessarily talk about the rules but but maybe get into a little bit on on the differences on how the two are taught. And in my experiences in judo, the way that judo nawaza is, is typically taught. Now the caveat here, my my uh longtime judo coach was not quite this way, but in a lot of other clubs that I have visited, the way that judo nawaza is taught, it's it's taught to the rules. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it it does, I feel, limit the skills that one can acquire um, in terms of being a little bit more flexible and dynamic on the ground, because I hate to say it, Judo no Waza is not as dynamic as Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is. Now, look, I don't want to get a bunch of angry emails saying, oh, Jay Dave, you haven't seen the coast and Judo guys. Look, those guys are quite literally on the other side of the world, and I'm not saying that there isn't dynamic nawaza in judo i'm not saying that don't don't send me angry emails about kashi uh, kashiwazaki because yeah i get it there are a lot of judo nawaza masters out there and i do want to make it perfectly clear that i'm not saying judo nawaza is ineffective or that it's bad i i i actually think it's very good i think it's very effective and i know there are judo black belts out there that would give Brazilian jiu-jitsu, black belts, fits, and those are guys, and I'm talking about guys that have no experience in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Judo Nawaza is effective, and it's great. It's just the way that it is taught, at least in my experience, it's just not dynamic enough. And I'll give a perfect example. The One of the first classes, since I've come back to Brazilian jiu-jitsu, in one of the first class, or the very first class, I learned the De La Hiva guard. And it was taught to me by one of the instructors at Ybor City Jiu-Jitsu. His name is Chris Reed. Bow to your sensei! And no, they don't call him senseis in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, in case you guys don't know that. All right, where was I? Oh, yeah, De La Hiva Guard. And I also learned a, uh, a back take from the De La Hiva Guard. It's really something else. It's really fascinating. And I'll tell you something. I could spend the next 20 years just going to Judo, and I would never, ever see that. And then a few days later, I learned something called the Barambolo, which I, I'm sure some Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu guys out there chuckle at at that movement. But, well, at least I've seen people chuckle at it. But that is a way of moving that is completely foreign to Judo. Because most Judo guys would look at that and say to themselves, well, he's standing. It doesn't matter. The ref's going to call Mate. And that's kind of my point here, is that I don't want to learn judo just for the rules. I don't want my Nawaza game to be tailored for just for judo rules. I want to be more dynamic in the way that I move, and yeah, I hate to say it, but Brazilian jiu-jitsu is the only thing that's going to get me there, because I have not come across anybody in judo that teaches judo in a in a as a in a dynamic way. Oh, excuse, me, that's a mouthful. In a way that is as dynamic as I see in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And that's just that's just how I want to move. It's how I want to roll. And you know, from some people's point of view, if you're not doing IJF Judo, you're not doing Judo. I guess for me, because I'm taking a, a much more blended approach to my practice habits, to me it's all Judo. And I don't mean that disrespectfully to any Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu guys. But as I said before, the yielding and flexible approach to the ground that Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners have is a similar way as to what we all in judo aspire to be on our feet. And they just do it on the ground. And that's, that's how I want to roll. And it seems like in judo, that free-flowing, yielding approach tends to go out the window as soon as you guys hit the ground. So all in all, it's been a fun experience. It's been a very positive experience, and I think if I approach this the right way, it's going to save a lot of wear and tear on my body over the course of the long run. And I think between doing this and becoming really proficient with Yoko Wakari and other types of sacrifice throws that I'm starting to mix in my judo as well, I I think I'm I'm trying I'm coming to a point in my life where. I'm doing pretty good Judo and my approach is going to allow me to keep training for a very long time. Now with regards to training, I have recently added a supplement to my diet, if you want to call it a diet, that is unlike any supplement that I have ever taken in my life. And that's called Cannabidiol or CBD. Now, for those that may not know, uh, cannabidiol or CBD is a chemical or perhaps maybe one calls it a molecule. Look, I'm not a, I'm not a scientist by any means, but CBD comes from the cannabis plant. And in layman's terms, it has all the benefits of medical marijuana without the psychotropic effects of smoking marijuana. So cannabidiol comes in many different forms. Uh, you, you can vape it. And you can uh, they, they comes in gummies and it comes in products, stuff that you can drink. I recently purchased cannabidiol for myself because I was interested in the anti-inflammatory benefits uh, that that people were saying that they were having uh, taking CBD. And to be perfectly clear, again, if I didn't say it already, CBD is legal. In as far as I know, all fifty states. This is not anything that you need a prescription for. So I placed an order for CBD about a month ago. It was very expensive, I must say. But I got, I bought a thirty milliliter bottle of uh, twenty-five hundred milligrams of CBD, and that cost me about uh, hundred and twenty-five dollars. That that is a lot of money for for the tincture version of CBDs. And what that what I mean by that is. The way that I'm taking CBD is through a dropper. I drop about four or five drops of CBD underneath my tongue. I hold it there for about 30 seconds, and I'm supposed to get these uh, great benefits. Now, I am probably taking about 30 milligrams of CBD a day. And in terms of anti-inflammatory properties, if you want to call it that, I have not really seen much of a difference, and I'm not really willing to go up to 60 and 80 milligrams a, a day for CBD because really I'll start blowing through this, the, the bottles, and and I really don't want to do that. I, I'm hoping that this 30-milliliter bottle will last me about three months, but if I'm taking 60 to 80 milligrams a day, that bottle's going to only last me a month, and that's really a lot of money to spend. For anti-inflammatory benefits, however, I will say with the amount of CBD I'm taking, it, really, I only need a I only need about 15 milligrams of CBD to get this effect. Is that I am overall a lot more calmer, a lot more laid back. I'm not as high strung, and I don't want to give you guys this impression that I'm a very high strung person. But I live in in Tampa Bay, as you guys know, as some of you know, and traffic around here is horrible. There are days where it takes me two and a half hours to get home just to drive 35 miles. I'm not kidding about that. There are days that I'm stuck in the car when I leave work at five o'clock. Sometimes I don't get home till 730. It's really horrible. And if you guys have ever seen that movie Office Space, there are many days where I'm like in the beginning of that movie where you see Samir and he's pounding on the steering wheel and he's screaming at everybody around him. Like I hate to say it, but there are days when I'm stuck on I-275 in Tampa and I'm sitting there just over the Howard Franklin Bridge just sitting there for, for seemingly hours on end just waiting for traffic to move. I mean, I used to get really, really frustrated. But now that I'm taking the CBD stuff, you know, I'm just kind of chill. I just kind of sit there now. I'm like, man, this sucks, but I'm gonna get home eventually. That's kind of my, my, uh, my overall attitude, and it's kind of translated to how I train on the mats. And I mentioned this earlier when I was talking about Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, but it kind of goes the same way with Judo. Is that I'm a lot more relaxed on the mats, and I'm not by relaxed. I'm not talking about you know, uh, slower reaction times or anything like that. I'm just more chill. Like, you know, if I'm rolling with somebody, I don't, it doesn't matter if you've got a, a, if they're a no stripe white belt or, or a purple belt or, or, uh, or brown belt or whatever, it doesn't matter to me. Like if I get tapped out, my attitude, it's like, oh, well, I'll just keep rolling and keep trying where, you know, a long time ago, I would, take things so personally I would take it like such a great loss on the mats and and completely lose sight of that it's all just practice and same thing with Judo like you know I if some somebody that's that's lower ranked than me would have catch me on a throw years ago I'd be like ah oh, this is the this is an embarrassment I'm not defending the belt where now on CBD I'm just kind of like hey nice throw buddy let's let's get back at it again and something I've never really mentioned on this podcast before but Depression is something that I have always struggled with in my life. I mean, in recent years, my life has been much more improved. I've taken medicine in the past. Uh, I haven't taken any medicine in years, but I am noticing when I take CBD that I am feeling essentially the same type of health benefits that I used to feel when I was taking prescription medications for for depression. So I think people that take CBD and they feel an immediate benefit uh, from for pain relief and such, I I hate to put it this way. Um, I don't think many of those people do the kind of rigorous activities that judoka or, or jiu-jitsu practitioners or, or, or people that do combat sports do. So CBD is not going to help you help with inflammation if you've gotten punched in the face. You know what I mean? But I think with people that deal with with headaches and people that deal with uh, other types of pains like fibromyalgia, I see a lot of people get uh, an immediate benefit uh, from taking CBD. I know my wife, when she first took CBD, uh, she's somebody that that tends to have uh, a lot of headaches. And she noticed an immediate effect when she took about three or four drops under her tongue for CBD, and in about 20 minutes, she the headache went away. So it's almost like a a, a, a miracle pill in that regard, except not a pill. It's it's uh, in liquid form. And I got to say, it, it I kind of like the way it tastes. It's hard to describe. It kind of tastes like a plant, but unlike anything I've ever tasted before. So I highly recommend if you are kind of a high-strung person or can be a high-strung person like me from time to time, check out taking some cbd it's i i think there's probably other health benefits that i'm not even realizing maybe my cholesterol is being lowered or whatever i i don't know i haven't had my cholesterol checked in about six or seven months but it does help with inflammation a little bit i find it works best when i take that and maybe two motrin i i really feel benefits of um you know, my joints not being swollen and things like that. But I think the primary benefit for me is just I'm a lot more calmer, or a lot more chill and a lot more easy going on the mats and off the mats for that matter. I'm not screaming at people on my commute anymore. So that's a good thing. All righty. Well, I think I'm going to start wrapping things up with this episode. I'm very happy to be back behind the microphone talking to all you fine people. I am definitely going to do my best to not allow so much time to go by between episodes. But truthfully, my life has never been busier. And that can be a good thing and a bad thing. Like, um, I've been working a lot of nights lately. And, you know, working a lot of hours that are outside of my normal scheduled hours and such. So, it's been busy. Plus, my kids are in two different high schools and... My oldest son just turned 17. Happy birthday to you. So it's it's I mean, uh, been very busy. But I will certainly not let so much time go by. Uh, before I have another episode ready. Which I hope we have in about two weeks. Alright. So with that. I hope you guys have a great day. I hope you have a great rest of the week. Train hard. Stay safe out there. And until next time. I'm out. Whoop star Star